0: Well, 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 we have been in this series looking at God's, God's story for the past uh, several weeks, and just to let you know, we're going to be jumping ahead to Matthew chapter one today. And the reason for that is I want to, there's a couple of different reasons. I want to, number one, I want you to see the other side of it. We're jumping to the New Testament and seeing, we've been following this kind of this thread that God has, has, um, um. Uh, sought through his story. Man kind of messed up and, and God then steps in and he's seeking to redeem his, his creation. And the story of redemption is where uh, we kind of left off with the uh, story of Abraham and, or uh, the story of uh, Joseph uh, last, last week. And we see this, uh, this redeeming, this idea of redemption that's there. Well, as we enter into Easter, I want us to see that New, the New Testament side and the, 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 the story of the person of Jesus, the, 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 the work that he did on the cross is the other side of that, where God is going to keep his promise. So we're uh, up and from now until the time of Easter, we're going to be in the New Testament looking at this, this promise that God made way back in the Old Testament. Now we're going to see how that gets fulfilled in the New Testament, then we're going to go back to the book of Exodus, because remember, we, we left last week, we left Joseph in and, and all of his family in Egypt, and, and uh, they're starting to grow and multiply. And uh, we talked about that in our Sunday school class today. But they're starting to grow, and they're starting to multiply, and, and, and eventually what will, will happen is that they will be, the, the Egyptians are going to just get so um, nervous about the fact that these Israelites are growing that they're going to force them into slave labor, they're going to oppress them, and so on and so forth and that's kind of where we're left off but we see in the midst of all that how God is constantly working with his people helping his people moving his people towards a specific direct direction and that idea that we're going to be looking at when we get back into ex- Exodus and that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks that we're heading towards is this idea of being redeemed this idea of being purchased back uh, they fell in the garden and God is in the process, has been in the process of, of purchasing uh, His people back ever since that time. And uh, you see that theme of redemption throughout the whole um, New Testament or throughout the whole Bible, that God redeems His people. Um, and we say to that, Amen, right? God redeems His people. Now, I want to read a passage that I don't know that you've probably ever heard a sermon on before. If you have, it's probably pretty rare for this to happen and you're one of the lucky few because we're going to read Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at some names today and so I invite you to look at that. We'll have it up on the screen or if you want to, if you want to look in your Bibles because we'll be coming back to this and we'll want you to, to, to kind of look at um, a couple of things or uh, we'll highlight a couple of these names on here. But I want to read this, and I want you to, to think about this. And, and I know that genealogies just sound so terrible. They just sound so boring. Say, everybody, everybody say boring. boring. It's not. It really isn't. It's not. I'm telling you. If you really think about what's in this list, it's not boring. So, but I want you to look at that. We'll read it together. Please, please just bear with it. And if you have to sit through it, I know. But, but um, there are some really cool things in this, in this passage here a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Salmon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. That's a neat name for a kid, wouldn't it be? Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born. Jesus, who is called Christ. You guys doing okay now? Right? You're not uh, blown away by all that? But you know, I I look at that list and I realize that sometimes it is just impossible to imagine that God can use you. Right? You know, if you would asked me when I was a kid, when I was growing up, if you would have told me one day that I would stand up in front of a group of people and preach the gospel, I would have told you, you're insane. I would have laughed at that. Um, it is just ama- absolutely amazing to me what God does in the lives of His people. I've seen people who normally would not think that God could do certain things in their lives and just step out and do some amazing, just, I'm not saying that they're, they're big things. I'm just saying doing amazing things that's just way out of their comfort zone and doing it. And just, it just amazes me. Young people, all the way to adults, to to uh, you know, all all in all walks of life. It's just absolutely amazing what God does in the lives of people. It's 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 amazing to me how God is able to take us and to shape us and to mold us and use us in ways that you and I have never thought possible. And and sometimes I I feel like I I should imitate what I understand I guess what I understand to be the practice uh, of a lot of uh, at a lot of support group meetings. You know, hi. My name is Paul Roberts. I'm, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm a former pagan. I'm, I'm a recovering sinner. Um, do you ever feel that way sometimes? As if all of life is wrapped up in the fact that you just can't quite get rid of whatever that little letter might identify you to. to uh, might identify for you. You should have picked up one of these. How many? Of you, did, did anybody not get one of these here? should have picked up one of those when when you came in. Um, I'm not about to tell you what that stands for. I want you to think about that and hold that and look at that and look at that letter. Um, The church had seven of these letters. They called them the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, sloth were among a few of them. I, I just happened to randomly pick up you know, I put my own hand in there and pulled this one out, and I grabbed an O out of that, out of the sack. Um, outcast, outsider, maybe. Uh, that's certainly, I guess, uh, what I felt like when I was first started coming back to church after being out of the church for a few years. I, I really don't know what your rep, your letter represents for you. I don't know what sin that might... I want you to think about that. I don't know what sin that might represent for you or what characteristic or what kind of an identifying mark it might have for you, but I suspect that every single one of us has something deep down in our system that we can identify with in a way that is possibly hurtful, that is in, in, in some way keeping us, that is in some way keeping us from being what we think that God might one day let us be. I want to come to this text here. Keep in mind on that. Keep thinking about that. Think about that a little bit. Um, I want to come to this text this morning in Matthew chapter 1. I chose to, to let you hear that because I think this is such a profound text that, but, but so really hard to, to read, a list of names, sort of. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 starts out this way. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A record of the genealogy, a record of the origin. It, it, it's really the word Genesis, quite frankly. That's really what's here. Um, and, and it's interesting that the book of Genesis in the Septuagint, that's the, that's the Greek translation of the of the Old Testament, starts out identical to the book of Matthew. In, in, in this sense, it, 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 it is a list. It, it, it is a record of the beginning. In the beginning, God. And Matthew starts out, in the beginning, Jesus. But you notice who's introduced immediately in this list of names, David and Abraham are the ones, uh, names that you, sh- if, if you don't recognize them, you, you should recognize them. I I would call them noble names. These are noble names. I guess they're just names that you recognize immediately when you walk d- down through that list. That, it, they're the, the kind of the names that you're struck. Uh, you are struck by um, noble names. Um, you think of people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and Judah and, and maybe men like Boaz or, or David or Solomon or Josiah. You think of those names. These are the noble names. Names that are just, just names that you should just recognize because of who they are in God's kingdom. They're the names of, of God's nobility. They're the names of people that God chose to use in some... Re- spectacular ways, the, the kinds of, of names, frankly, that, that kind of elicit the response from you and me that would say, I could never be like that. I think of contemporary people, and quite honestly, I have my own list of names, and you can probably think of some. You're, you'll have your list. I think, for example, of Billy Graham, just recently passed away here, what is it, a month ago, a noble name. Named often by Time Magazine as one of the men of the century. Maybe the most influential Christian in the past 50, 60 years. Spoken to millions and millions of people. He, it's a noble name. I think, quite honestly, uh, one of the noble names of this part of the, of the 21st century is going to be um, Rick Warren, maybe. Just because of the influence of his book, The Purpose Driven um, Life. But 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 historically, see, there are those those names, aren't there, that, that, that surface. You can hardly think about the history of the church without thinking of men like Martin Luther, you know, to have that surface for you, or or uh, Augustine, you know, uh, in in the history of the church. You can't you cannot not think of those names. But but you've you've got your list of those noble names. Names that, that, when you think about them, they are the people that were the most influential in your life. I can tell you the names on my list. You won't know them. You won't recognize them. A fellow, uh, David Grooms, uh, I think of Jerry and Marianne Harling. Again, you won't know them. Of all the lists of, of names, they're the ones that stand out as people that God has somehow chosen to use. Noble names. But the interesting thing about this list, our list here, is that our list is just, it's not just a list of noble names. Names that you'd like to to expect. Come back and I want you to look at this list again because not only are there noble names here, but there's also some notorious names. There's some notorious names. The names of people that you would never expect. To find in Genesis one or Matthew one in in any list of people that God somehow chose to use, they they just don't they just, they just don't belong in the list. I'm sorry, they just don't they don't. I mean, I don't mean to be judgmental here, but they just don't belong here. Uh, you know, for example, if you look down at Matthew chapter one verse seven, you've got the name Rehoboam, son of Solomon. He's the one who, who came in and divided the kingdom between Israel and Judah and, and because he wouldn't listen to the advice of godly leaders. And, and you go to 2 Chronicles 12 uh, in verse 14. This is what it says about Rehoboam. It says he did evil in the uh, he did evil because he had in he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. That's what it says about Rehoboam. Notorious names. He did evil because he had not set his heart in the right place. Well, you come just a little bit further in Matthew chapter 1 and you run into the name Jehoram. Jehoram is chronicled for us in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Another one of the multitude of kings that Israel had. 2 Chronicles chapter 21 verse 4 starts the story of Jehoram. Second Chronicles twenty one verse four. Look at what it says. When Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all of his brothers to the sword, along with some of the princes of Israel. I mean, for crying out loud, this guy's a murderer, right? Uh, Second Chronicles twenty one verse six. The latter part of the six. It's uh, a latter latter part of verse six. You'll see it highlighted there. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But yet, don't miss this. Verse number 7, this is really important. This is something I want you to keep in mind for between now and the end of our, our message today, but it says this, Nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. Here, in King Jehoram's unfaithfulness is this comment about God's faithfulness to his covenant. You come a little further down in the story of Jehoram and you'll see Second Chronicles chapter twenty one verse twenty this, this sad epithet. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Well, you look a little further in Matthew chapter 1 and you find the name Ahaziah. He's the next king mentioned in Second Chronicles. He's in Second Chronicles 22, verse 4. And this is what it says about him. It says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done, for after his father's death they became his advisers to his undoing. He became just like Ahab. Ahab was the one who married Jezebel. Jezebel is the one who who introduced all of the notorious sin in Israel, the Baal worship and the Asherah poles, and, and Ahaziah was just like Ahab. Or 2 Kings chapter 21, you got a guy by the name of Manasseh. I look at this list, of, of names in the lineage of Jesus, and I, I see this notorious name Manasseh, and I wonder how in the world he could be in this list. Look what this says. 2 Kings 21, verse 2, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nation nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. And then it, if you read that passage, it goes on to describe some of the evil that Manasseh Committed while he was king, like erecting idols, like practicing sorcery, and even sacrificing his own son on the altar. There are notorious names in this list. I'm just amazed at the, at the notorious people that are, that are in the lineage of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. There are, there are noble names, there are notorious names well, there are also, I think, what I would call notable names. Notable names. And by that I mean these are the names that when you hear their story, they, 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 they cause you to, to, to sit up and just take note. Notable names. If you look at verse number 8, you have... The story of Asa, or in some translations, you might have, it might say Asaph. Uh, His life here is is chronicled in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And in verse number 8, this is what it it talks about Asa. This is what it says it says that when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded the prophet, he took courage. Now, watch this next part here. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. 2 Chronicles 15, verse number 12, says that Asa brought them into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. In verse number 15, it says that they sought God eagerly and that he was found by them. And then maybe the stunning verse of Asa's life is found in 2 Chronicles, 15 verse, or, uh, yeah, 2 Chronicles 15, verse 17. And I want you to see that up here. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life. And I just find that to be incredibly comfortable, comfort, comforting. And, and I find it to be encouraging in, that, in, in that, all of that verse there. I mean here Asa comes along. He reverses the role of, of so much of what has gone on before him. He does his best to lead Israel to seek after God, and yet, inherent in his life is this inability, to put, completely give everything over. Do you see that there? There were things that never quite got resolved for him. There, there were uh, issues that he never fully dealt with, and yet listen to what God says about him. Although he did not remove those high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed, fully committed to the Lord all his life. See, I I look at that and I realize that God does not seek or expect, God does not expect perfection, but he does expect commitment from us. He does not expect us to be able to deal with absolutely everything, but he expects one simple thing, give me your heart. I can deal with the rest. Just give me your part. And that is such a powerful statement of grace to me. I, I read down the list through the, through the list in Matthew chapter 1 and I find this notable name of Josiah. Uh, over, over in 2 Kings chapter 22, you learn a lot about uh, King Josiah. He's a marvel in Israel's history. He, uh, believe it or not, Josiah became king when he was only 8 years old. Now think about that. Um, we have some eight, nine-year-olds over old back over here, right? How old is Madison? Madison is eight. Madison is eight. Someone who was eight years old rose up and became king in Israel. Isn't that just amazing? But but I want you to look at he he look at Second Kings chapter twenty-two, verse two, tw- two. It says he did what was right in the eyes. Of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right, or to the left. Right, and, and I think of young people like Madison. I think of young people like like Barbie, and I, I even think of my kids. You know, they're they're a little older than that, but I mean, I think about that. But I think of individuals that I know of who have in in the, in the period of time that I've been in the ministry, young people at the age of eight who have. Who have given their lives to Jesus and 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 full, you know, with everything that they have, say, I want to serve God, and I know them, and I watch them grow up, and I see them, you know, make good choices and good decisions, and and just love the Lord and never turn from that, and that is just so powerful to me, that testimony. But I think of people who who are that way, and you know, somehow, look at that, and we think somehow. Maybe they don't have a testimony because they didn't really do anything. They've always been so devoted to God, but yet I would trade that testimony in a heartbeat for mine. Being faithful to God all your life. We had a lady in our church in Footville by the name of Ella Dunbar. She lived to be not quite 104 years old. And I always asked her about her relationship. How did you, how did you accept the Lord? She went forward at the age of eight in her church. She died in 1999. So she, was, she was born in, I think, 1895 or something like that. She went forward in her church at a young age of eight and from that point on was committed to the Lord all of her life. We got most of the people, I said, you know how, I, I had several people just say, you know what, whenever I've looked at Anna, er, Ella, I always thought of her as being old. She's always been old. When I was a kid growing up, she was old. She died at 104. Here's a woman who who gave her life to Christ at eight and never steered. And God used her in some mighty and powerful ways. And that's just such a great, powerful testimony. King Josiah was not only a man who loved God from the time that he was eight years old, but he was also a young man of incredible, noble courage and character. Prior to his becoming king, they had lost the scriptures. They had lost sight of the law of God, and they found it again. And in Second Kings chapter twenty-two, verse eleven, it tells us that when the king heard the words of the book of law, of the law, he tore his clothes, he tore his robes, and he. And then he responds in verse thirteen. This is what he says: "Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of, book, of this book." They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And as the, as the story unfolds, Josiah leads them to institute these reforms, to, to reestablish God's law, and, and to bring people back to God's law. And, and here is this young man who never turned to the right, never turned to the left, who loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and every time he discovered something in the law of God that he needed to do, he responded appropriately with repentance and obedience. And 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25, has this to say about Josiah. This is amazing. Never said about anyone else, of, of any of the kings. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Prior to this, the standard was David, who the scripture tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. This text says that Josiah accomplishes what David did and more. Notable names the kinds of names that make you sit up and go, wow, wow, notable names and notorious names and, and, and noble names and notorious names and notable names. And quite frankly, there's some no names in this list. No names. Uh, did you notice that as the text was read, how many of those names sounded completely foreign to you? Raise your hand. Completely foreign. I never heard of that one before. You know, wonder who that was. You know, that was a tough one to to uh, pronounce. You know, like Eliakim, Zerubbabel. You can kind of, if you a, you can kind of get hung up on that one, right? Zerubbabel. Although, if we ever have another child, that's what his name is going to be. Zerubbabel. Names that you just uh, And, and when, when you go back and you try those, those, you, you try looking up those names in scriptures, you won't find them, some of those. You won't find anything about them. You can't. They're just names in the list of the lineage of Jesus. They don't appear to have anything in that heritage that's worth paying attention to. And yet somehow they made it into the list, into the lineage of Jesus. And, and, and churches, I think, I, I think that churches are full of, of those people, men and women who, young and old, who, who lead in ways that God honors and, and uses, and frankly no one will ever know their name except God. I, I'll try this. I don't know if, if she, she, it may be somebody different for her, but I think of somebody in one of our churches that, that I just think of, nobody knew that this man did much at all. They didn't see him doing it. They never, no, nobody ever talked about it. I did, because I watched him. He, he would just get up on Sunday morning. He was there before anybody. He was always there late. He'd be sneaking in during the week and everything else. Nobody, there was nothing on any roll that anyone said. say and his, his first name is what? Yes. Yes. And she only knows it because I told her. <laughs> I mean, he really did not. Nobody. He never. You know. Hey, I wanted to stand up and let everybody know here today that I've been doing all these things. In case you noticed that the, this is this has been a, no. Amazing man. Amazing man of faith. And frankly, our church has a few of these. I know that they do. We just do things. We're not looking for credit. We're not, nobody really knows. It's not, you don't have a plaque anywhere or anything. But this text, the point is that this text is full. This list of names is so profound, such a profound lesson. And it reminds us that God can and He does use anybody. Did you notice that when the passage was read here? There were five of them. I even highlighted them for you in case it would kind of just stand out for you. Uh, I wish we had a ni- neon highlighter. Um, but I, I don't know if you caught them, but there were five of them. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah. She doesn't even get her name on the list, right? Her name is Bathsheba. And Mary. There are five, count them, five women in the lineage of Jesus. That should strike you as odd. Never in the lineage of anyone in the Old Testament is a woman ever mentioned. But in the lineage of Jesus, five women, all five of whom have something scandalous about them. You have a prostitute, you have a woman who played a prostitute, you have an outcast, you have an adulteress. an adulteress, and then you also have a teenage girl who became pregnant out of wedlock and claimed it was by the Holy Spirit. And right here in the lineage of Jesus, they stand testimony to the fact that God was going to include everyone Jews, Gentiles, male, female, no- noble, notorious, all of those in his plan. And the one that really particularly strikes me. Is in verse number five. It says, "Salmon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, the mother of was her whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Do you remember Rahab? Prostitute. Do you remember Boaz? The man of noble character. The man who took." took Ruth under his care, the one who is presented in the book of Ruth as a nobleman of deep character. And what we see in that book is in one generation we have gone from prostitute to noble. Uh, do you hear this? this? This text here is about the grace of God. God can use absolutely anyone. That's, I think that's one of the lessons in this text, is that God can use absolutely anyone that He wants. Let me just hurry you the second one, which I think is bigger than the first one. Far greater than the first one is, is, this, is this second lesson. It's wrapped up in the text that we read earlier that I asked you to hang on to. Second Chronicles 21.7, that in spite of the sin, God had made a covenant to keep David's lineage alive. And God will not let his covenant die no matter what. That's what that text says. And so you have in Matthew chapter 1 this great fulfillment of God's promise. He's been saying since Genesis chapter 3, I will send someone who will redeem the line of David, who will redeem us from our sins. And then you have in Matthew chapter 1, here he comes, and to the line of David, and to the line of Abraham, comes one whose name was Jesus the Christ. He's the right nation. He's the right lineage. It's, it's fascinating how this text begins to unfold because Jesus is presented for us, first of all, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, as the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, and then you begin to see that, that he is the right person for the right place at the right time. The, the, the text is fascinating in that it calls your attention to the fact that Jesus is, is the son of David, the king. In fact, you can't read the book of Matthew. Without beginning to notice how strongly he affirms this Old Testament presentation of the gospel, I want you to look at a couple of verses. We'll flash them on the screen there for a little bit. Look at verse number seven Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will be with child. Hear it? Fulfilled prophecy. Verse number uh, chapter two verse five in Bethlehem in Judea they replied for this is what the prophet has written hear it there's fulfilled prophecy jump over to Matthew chapter two verse fifteen they took him down to Egypt where he stayed until the time of uh, till the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt I have called my son or verse number seventeen then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Or verse 23, and he, and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Nazarene. Do you hear Matthew's emphasis here? There's this promise, fulfillment, prophecy, fulfillment. And he's going to take that same theme of David and he's going to run through the book about Jesus. And you find in Matthew 12, in Matthew 15, in Matthew chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 28, in all of those places, people are going to cry out, Is this not Jesus, the Son of David? That New Testament emphasis is going to be repeated then in the book of Acts. The writer of Acts is Luke. And in, 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 in Luke records that in, in the first sermon preached on the day of Pentecost by, uh, by uh, Peter, the key text is going to focus on Jesus being none other than the son of David. When Paul introduces the letter to the Romans, he he says something about Jesus being the son of David. And when you get to the last thing that Paul ever wrote in 2 Timothy, and in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel this whole story is to remind you and me that God has done what God said he would do. He has sent a king through the lineage of David in order to rule his people, Israel. And this is the way that Paul said it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of son. He sent this his son to redeem us. And God has kept his promise. And this is the very story that God has been trying to tell us, that God keeps his promise to us, that he will send a son who will redeem us from our sins, And this chapter reminds us not only of the breadth of that story and the size of this story, but in that story comes this inherent promise. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an outcast, whether you're a prostitute, whether you're a sinner, He came to redeem you and me and to use you to further His kingdom. To use us to further His kingdom. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. celebrate God's keeping of his promise. That's what brings us to this table today. To celebrate God keeping his promise, both to, be, both, for bringing, both to bring us redemption and to make us useful for his kingdom. And so here's how we want to do that today. As you come to take communion today, remember you got these, right? there's a little trash bag right over there under there. I think underneath there's another trash bag over there underneath that table over there and what we want you to do is um, what we're inviting you to do is to take this letter here and all that it represents hopefully you're thinking about what that been thinking about this whole time what that might represent but as you walk up here just to be reminded of the blood of Jesus Christ and throw it in the, in the basket throw it in the trash, because that's what God has done for each one of us. He has taken your sin, He has taken my sin, and He has made you and me clean. And then celebrate the Lord's Supper and be reminded of the redemption of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You for... Your faithfulness in sending us your Son Jesus. We thank you for redemption from every sin, from every, every condition. And thank you, God, that, that we can be useful in your kingdom no matter who we are and what've or what we've done. And we just want to thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, Shed for the remission of our sins. and we pray in Jesus and through Jesus and because of Jesus. We celebrate this supper together in His name. Amen. As I rise, Mm. strength of God.